Welcome to Movie Catch-Up, a podcast where two friends work on reducing their movie backlog. Each episode, we serve up a double-feature discussion of movies we've selected for each other to catch up on. I'm Leanne. Greg. And we're a trio of impressionable youths off to save the day. Today, we're talking about Hocus Pocus and Halloween Town. This is the final episode in our lead-up to Halloween, and we also have a special guest with us today, too. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hello. Yay. <laughs> well, I understand that you're a bit of a Halloween buff. and uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about your relationship to Halloween, some of maybe what your favorite scary or Halloween-related movies are? Yeah, so growing up, my household was always very, very big in Halloween. Like, we went full out. It was a bigger event in my house growing up than, like, Christmas was. So, you know, we had all of the scary decorations. We had fireworks when they weren't illegal to have. Wow. So I just kind of, like, adapted as I grew to just such a great love for Halloween. I just love it. It's definitely the opposite of me growing up with Halloween, (laughs) where I grew into it much later. I'm the same as Greg. Yeah. What were some of the movies you watched, like, every year growing up? Uh, One of them was Hocus Pocus, actually. I watched it every year. Um, Besides that, it was, uh, oh, let's see. Uh, The Lost Boys was always a go-to for us growing up. Nice, nice. Um, Coraline. Movie still kind of freaks me out. (laughs) I actually haven't seen Coraline. That might be on Leanne's list for me. I forget. I've also (laughs) not seen it, so it's not on my list either. Oh, damn. Oh, you guys should watch it. It's so good. (laughs) I have heard that adults generally find it much scarier than children do. I could see that. Like, I read the book as well when I was a kid, and the book freaked me out, too. It looks like it's a bit of a disturbing story. You know, just pop your eyes out and sew buttons in there. It's totally fine. It's totally normal. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, let's just hop straight into the movies then. We can talk about our various relationships with Halloween as they come up. I know that I have a specific relationship with Hocus Pocus, which is the first movie we're talking about today. Uh, Hocus Pocus was released in 1993 and stars Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy and Jimmy, Thora Birch, Omri Cat, Vanessa Shaw, and Doug Jones, who has played every monster in every movie you've probably ever seen for like the last 30 years. Wait, he's the... Is he the, the zombie? Yeah. Oh, huh. Interesting. Uh, this movie was directed by Kenny Ortega. Yes! We stand Kenny Ortega! <laughs> and who's directed such notable movies including Newsies, High School Musical 1, 2, and 3, and The Descendants 1, 2, and 3. This movie was written by David Kirshner, who also wrote An American Tale and The Page Master. And Mick Garris, who had various TV credits, none of which I recognized. The tomato meter score for this movie was 32% critic and 71% audience. And I was shocked by that ratio. I was truly shocked, especially based on some of the movies that we watched recently that had very low critic scores and even audience scores that weren't warranted. I mean, spoiler alert, but... Halloween Town had an 80% critic score. Wow. It's 80%? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get to Halloween Town, <laughs> but I I assumed maybe the opposite, like this would be 80%. I'm Weird. shocked that it isn't. Yeah, I was truly yeah. shocked to see how low the critic score was. I'm a little bit surprised at how low the audience score is, but it's definitely like in a much more appropriate range. The tagline for this movie is, it's just a bunch of hocus pocus. Love it. 
Okay. So the plot summary for this movie is Max and Danny have recently moved from Los Angeles, California to Salem, Massachusetts, and Max is finding it difficult to fit in in his new surroundings. During the telling of a local legend about the Sanderson sisters, three witches who were killed 300 years ago and the curse they left behind, which tells of their return on Halloween, should a virgin light the black flame candle, Max expresses skepticism about the truth behind it. Later that night, Max, Danny, and Allison, local cool girl that Max has a crush on, visit at the former House of the Witches, now a defunct museum, where Max lights the black flame candle, fulfilling the curse as foretold. The three children and one black cat named Thackeray Binks, a transformed boy from when the Sanderson sisters were alive, must race against the clock and defeat the witches before they become immortal. This is the spell book of Winifred Sanderson. It was given to her by the devil himself. The book is bound in human skin and contains the recipes for her most powerful and evil spells. I get the picture. <laughs> What's that? Oh, it's the black flame candle. Hmm, <laughs> black flame candle. Made from the fat of a hangman. <laughs> Legend says that on a full moon it will raise the spirits of the dead when lit by a virgin on Halloween night. Hmm. So let's light the sucker and meet the old broads. So Greg, you have never seen this movie, but what did you know about it going in before, or what were sort of your initial impressions about it? Uh, it's probably one of my deepest shames in life that I haven't seen this movie. <laughs> and it's weird because it seems like this movie was made for me. Like, it really does seem like it's, it's just made for me. Like, Kenny Ortega, first off, I think I've seen every movie Kenny Ortega has made except for this. I love Kenny Ortega. I think he's pretty terrible at making movies. And this is surprisingly better, more competent than any of his other movies. But I love everything he makes. And then you've got Bette Midler, Kathy Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker. I love all of them so much. Like, wow, I'm shocked that I didn't see this before. And it really just came down to it wasn't something I saw as a kid because... For whatever reason, it didn't play on all the channels I watched. I don't think Family Channel played this a ton, at least not compared to Halloween Town, which played all the time. So I saw Halloween Town every year. But as a family, we didn't take part in Halloween, really. There was a few years when I was very young where I went trick-or-treating, kind of before I can even remember that. And then we were a turn-off-the-lights family. So I didn't really go out of my way to watch a lot of Halloween content as a kid. The only one that really did stick out to me was Halloween Town. So year after year would go by and you'd see everyone talking about the Halloween movies they're going to watch this year. Everyone's like, oh, I'm going to rewatch Hocus Pocus. I'm going to rewatch Hocus Pocus. I'm going to rewatch Hocus Pocus. And I knew it was like this big movie, but I just felt like I was getting too old. Like, is it really going to be that good watching it not as a kid? And I just kind of let that linger there and never really sought it out, even though it was always in the back of my mind. Like, I'd probably like this, but I didn't know it was Kenny Ortega or would have. Yeah, when I was putting my notes together and I thought it was Kenny Ortega, I was like, Greg is going to lose his mind that Kenny Ortega directed this. And it has a musical number. <laughs> yeah, it has two decent musical numbers, which I was surprised by, but shouldn't be. It's Bette Midler. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really, really, I really, really enjoyed it. I was very, very happy. Jamie, when did you first watch Hocus Pocus? 
Oh, gosh. I don't even know. I was young. I know that. I'm going to say my earliest memory of watching it was maybe when I was like nine. It was always on TV at my house. I don't know why it wasn't wasn't on any of your channels. I watched a lot of Family Channel and I don't, it, maybe it was. I don't know. Maybe I thought it was too scary. It maybe. could be that. I was very, very scared as a child. Halloween Town was not scary. So I was fine with that. Even that, I think, kind of scared me as a kid, though, to be honest. This wasn't on TV a lot for me for some reason. I think I saw Hocus Pocus for the first time, I want to say, in, like, 94. So I would have been, do some quick math, like, six or seven. And um, this was when we were living out in the Kootenays. And I've mentioned several times, but growing up as a kid, my dad was a pastor. And so I wasn't allowed to do a lot of Halloween-related things. We always did, like, a Halloween night thing that was, like, not Halloween-themed in, like, the church basement. And it was, like, an alternative oh, Halloween thing. I love church basement Halloweens. They were great. <laughs> they were a lot of fun. But, like, I did a lot of begging of my parents to let me go out for Halloween. I would, like, plead that I wouldn't dress up as anything scary. And my parents were just like, no. And it was all about, like, the origins and, like, blah, blah, blah. And it was this whole thing. So yeah. I was denied. I didn't go to trick-or-treating for the first time until I was, like, 15. And by then, I already felt like I was too old to go. But we watched this movie at a friend's house. And my parents were not happy when they found out that we watched it. <laughs> because they were sort of generally opposed to watching sort of stuff that had, like, witches and all kinds of stuff like that like when harry potter first came out in the late 90s like even that was sort of initially viewed as something that they didn't want us to be or me i guess because i was the youngest to be involved in but since then things have taken quite a significant turn And my parents are much more laissez-faire about, like, participation in Halloween stuff. They're not interested in it. But by the time I was, like, pushing towards adulthood, you know, if I wanted to hand out candy or if I wanted to go out, they didn't really care as much. But when I was a kid, boy, howdy, was I not allowed to participate in any of that stuff. (laughs) Yep. I remember not getting to read Harry Potter till I was in grade eight or nine when my parents had to read it first. Yikes. Wow, so, like, both of you guys never went, like, trick-or-treating, like, your entire childhood? No. I have very few memories of trick-or-treating as, and I have the picture, so I know I did these things as an Ewok, a sad clown, not on purpose, just I was very sad, uh, dressed as a clown. <laughs> There's lots of pictures of me crying in a clown outfit, and a Ninja Turtle that... And both the Ewok and the Ninja Turtle were hand-me-downs. And maybe the Sad Clown as well for my brother. My parents let my brother and sister trick-or-treat a lot. And then I did it when I was, I want to say, five, six-ish. And then as I got older, we did more church basement-y type things. So you'd go to the church on Halloween. You'd go down to the basement. And you would play board games and pretend Halloween didn't exist. And, uh, like, sing hymns and stuff. It was great. At times, it was actually kind of fun. But, you know. Is very much a shut the world out, pretend that paganism doesn't exist type of thing. And then I took my nieces trick-or-treating quite a bit later on. Same thing with my parents. They really mellowed out on the Halloween stuff, but not until I was too old to go trick-or-treating kind of thing. This is probably around grade 10, 11 or so when my nieces were getting around the same age to trick-or-treat. So I went with them a lot at that point. Yeah, it really sucked not being able to go trick-or-treating because like all of my friends were allowed to go trick-or-treating. Yeah. And because I was the bastard's kid, I didn't really have an option about whether or not I wanted to go do the church basement stuff. It was pretty much implied. And then if we weren't doing that, then we were lights off family for sure. Oh yeah. Like every year we always had like a big group of like family friends and their kids. We would all just like 
go out like all throughout the blocks and we were all dressed yeah. up and everything. Oh, it's something scary. You have I feel to. like I've gotten a lot of that through osmosis from talking to other people, seeing it on TV and movies. One of the things, just jumping into this movie, that I really liked was all the trick-or-treating in this movie felt really authentic. Like, sometimes you'll see trick-or-treating in movies or shows, and it's like, I don't know, it just doesn't capture the actual spirit of, like, a busy trick-or-treating night, which I've experienced a few times with my nieces. And, like, just the hordes of kids running around and all the decorations and, uh, like, the atmosphere in this was really good. For all that stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about some things that worked for us in this movie. Uh, so for me, just kind of jumping off that, I thought this movie, one of the things that surprised me the most was how it competently it was filmed and shot, <laughs> which no dig at some of the other Kenny Ortega things I've seen, but just the overall presentation of this movie was I thought really solid, which makes me shocked that only got a 32% because I thought the sets and the costumes were really, really strong. The atmosphere of the all that the Halloween everywhere, like all of that worked so well for me, even down to like the zombie makeup effects, practical effects. The CGI was pretty bad, but what can you expect from 93? <laughs> and just the plot overall, like really flowed and like, and it just went. Like I was surprised that we got like really into the action quite fast. Like we opened with the standard and sisters in the past and how they're defeated and then we instantly jump to the present and we have like a short amount of introduction to max and danny in their life and then they're instantly off to the the old house lighting the candle and we're into the action and then it flowed really well all the way to the end i was thoroughly entertained the whole time and i kind of went in expecting it to be a little clunky probably because of halloween town and other kids halloween movies they don't sometimes flow the best or hold up the best in like how they're overall filmed as like a movie so i thought this was really well done yeah i thought that matt being a skeptic and then challenging allison to make him a believer was like a really good plot catalyst because they're in salem which is the halloweeniest of halloweeny places because of its history so going from like that scene when they're in school where he's like i don't think that this is true to running into her with Danny very shortly after that later that night and then her suggesting that they just go to the house that's now this closed museum and Max being so cavalier and he's like yeah I'm just gonna light this can I was so mad that he did that that he was just like I'm just gonna light this can I'm like you're yeah. an idiot but it was just yeah I agree it was a, a good way to you know force the action to start very quickly and I didn't waste any time getting us there which is good also, can we just mention how awesome Danny is? Like, right off the bat, she starts blackmailing Max. He's like, okay, I'll do this, but you have to go as Peter and Wendy with me next year for Halloween. Tights. With tights. Yeah. <laughs> and like, tights are no deal. Yeah. And, like, even when they, like, lit the candle and, like, the witches came back, even then she was still like, oh, yes, no, I'm a witch, too. I yeah, Danny's ability to, to improvise, like, on the spot in a number of places was so good. Yeah. She's just, like, very quick to sort of assess what's going on. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to pretend that I'm really a witch because that seems like a good self-preservation thing to do. And it always comes off really well. It doesn't necessarily work every single time but even when she stands up to the bullies near the beginning when they're trick-or-treating and she sees them taking candy tacks from all the kids walking by and she just confidently walks up and goes you can't do anything to me you shitheads basically <laughs> she like uses some strong language and it goes like i've got my brother here <laughs> it's like whoa confidence i'm kind of digging it but like also wow <laughs> 
I, I didn't write down some of the insults she laid on them, but, like, she laid down some insults. Like, she read them to filth. I did kind of like the two bullies. They are sort of this kind of iconic archetype where you have two people, one who's, like, kind of stupid and one who's all full of bravado. I mean, they're um, both kind of stupid. Uh, yeah. Well, one was more <laughs> stupid than the other. What one was more I was, stupid? I was trying to be generous. Um, the guy that stole the shoes, I think, was supposed to be, like, the more stupid of the two. Is that ice? The one who has yeah, yeah, the ice, one, yeah, ice shaved into the back of his head. <laughs> How could I forget? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote down a couple notes uh, that could potentially go in the bad section about them, but it's kind of, it could be a positive. I basically wrote down that, like, these two reeked of Kenny Ortega levels of not fully understanding the teens in any way. Because this is a <laughs> staple of Kenny Ortega movies is that no one acts like their proper age or, like, really like they would act. Like, everything is a little exaggerated. Like, Danny even acts like no girl her age would ever. Her vocab, the way she talks and acts, and, like, to me, it didn't read, like, super authentic little girl at times. I loved all of it, and I liked the bullies, but all of it was just, like, okay, this is kind of absurd, and I love it. I think Danny works because we really don't get to encounter any other children her age at all through the whole movie, yeah. so there's, like, no counterpoint to how she comes off on screen. Can we just talk for a moment about the Sanderson sisters? Yes. Because, yeah. oh my god. I, I definitely I love think them. we need to talk about them. My initial thought was just like, <laughs> oh, so Stardust just completely ripped these three off for Stardust. They're the same characters. Yeah. <laughs> I'd seen Stardust millions of times, and we'd watched it for our first episode of this podcast. And it's the same thing, like three witches that are getting ugly, and they need to drain the powers of, in this case, children, in that case, a star, to like regain their youth and immortality. And there's the smart one that's like the queen bee, and then there's the two idiots. And they all wear, like, the same clothing in both movies. And I gotta say, I think it's almost done better here. Like, I really like these three. I will say that all of the sisters have, like, a special talent, though. Yeah. Like, they have a specific power yeah. that's associated with them. And I think that makes their ensemble work really well. Because yeah. you have Winifred, who's played by Bette Midler, who's, like, the older sister. She's the one who's, like, competent at casting spells. And then you've got... Yeah, there's Mary. Sarah, who's played by Sarah Jessica Parker, and she's the ditzy yeah. one, but she has a voice that can lure children, like she can sing and she can get them to follow so that they can steal their life force. And then you've got Mary, who's played by Kathy Najimy, and she her special skill is that she can, like, sniff children out. So the three of them, like, really work together well as a unit. And they're all, they're various idiosyncrasies and, like, stupidity levels really make them so fun to watch. Like, some of the best parts of this movie for me were, like, some of the dialogue exchanges. Like, Winifred goes, how did I get cursed with such idiot sisters? And Sarah just goes, just lucky, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. The dynamic between the three of them is really good. I was actually watching a little bit of the Movie Bitches retro review of this the other day. And apparently Rosie O'Donnell was considered or was supposed to be playing uh, Mary's character in place of Captain and Jimmy. Nope. So I think it probably wouldn't have been nope. bad, but I definitely think that you, Kathy you is... can't replace Kathy and Jimmy. She is no, the icon. No, <laughs> We don't talk enough about her. <laughs> I think my favorite scene with the Sanderson sisters was actually like right outside the graveyard when they have to do their calming circle because Winfrey's like Winfrey's like getting like all like up in arms and stressing and they do that calming circle it was just it's just the best yeah you really get the feeling that they've been together for a long time 
Yeah. What I like about these three compared, just comparing it back to Stardust, because it's hard not to for me, because like they were so echoey of each other. I like that these three, as much as they bicker, they still worked as a unit together, and at no point did Winifred try and like backstab them or murder her sisters or like do anything like that. They they did work as a unit the whole time, which I thought was really nice in a weird way. Also, like as I've watched this movie like year after year, like. I think it was when I was in, like, my teens when I started watching it again, and they had that bus scene with the bus driver, oh, and I, uh, it took me forever to, like, click in on that joke that he does. With, like, I, yeah. My <laughs> we desire dropped. children. That may take me a couple of tries, but I don't think that will be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> my jaw dropped when he said that. I'm like, that is probably one of the most directly sexual jokes I've ever seen in a kid's movie. There's a lot of like, innuendo right? in this movie. Insinuating that, like, I'm just going to sleep <laughs> with all three of you and we'll just make tons of babies. And, like, wow. They also say, like, there's a lot of focus on the word virgin in this movie. There's a lot of screaming of, it needs to be a virgin! <laughs> it's like, whoa. They're 13. <laughs> When they run into that thing, yeah. and Danny's like, he's a virgin. Like, he lit the candle and he <laughs> brought all these witches back. Yeah. At some point, I expected someone to pop up and go, he's a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Clueless came out until the following year, so that wouldn't have yeah, been relevant. I, that wouldn't have been relevant. One thing uh, on that that I kind of noted was like, this whole thing would have just been solved if either Max had just not been a virgin or. If a long time ago, like, the, the plot thing was weird to me. We'll talk about that. But, like, I wrote down a note, like, Max, you could have avoided this. <laughs> don't be a virgin and the whole plot's solved. I mean, don't cavalierly just <laughs> light candles. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things is when they go into the museum, like, it's so dusty and it's full of spider webs. And, like, it seems like, you know, any ignition source could set the whole thing ablaze. So, like, there's a lot of reasons to maybe be safe about it. But I did like that Max got continuously roasted for, like, the whole movie for lighting the candle also how did they get all of those artifacts from like before they died because i would have imagined like the villagers who were there at salem when they like hung the sisters i imagine they probably would have burnt everything yeah, I down some questions around that my my assumption was that this is a place that was so marred in superstition no one got near it for hundreds of years after until it was all but a memory and at that point people turned into a museum. Well it is also indicated that like as part of the legend that there's yeah. a black cat that prevents people from going inside so Binks is like working really hard to prevent anybody from going and you know lighting the candle or whatever. Oh, I felt so bad for that cat. But it does seem like the kind of building that would have become like dilapidated over time or maybe wouldn't necessarily have been considered like a historical site like 300 years passing and just to have that one place there for so long seem i don't know one thing i wasn't expecting watching this was the whole opening scene set in the past i'd seen clips and everything like especially the which we'll talk about but the i put a spell on you number i'd seen some clips from stuff like that but i didn't know this had like a whole intro scene in like the 1600s and i kind of liked it i don't know like it was it looked really good, and it really set the tone of the movie really well for me, where you've got these people playing, like, the, the villagers and the townsfolk with their pitchforks and torches who, like, capture the Sanderson sisters and have them hanging by nooses in the town square, 
and they're all like deadpanning it to the to the screen, playing it very seriously. And then you've got the three witches like laughing and cackling and, and doing puns and jokes and things while they're about to be hung. And like and just like the tone was so clear from the beginning that these three are just so extremely over the top extra in everything they do. And comparing that to like this period piece, sixteen hundred setting was like really effective for me. I will say I do like when they got brought back after that, that they were freaked out by the sprinklers. I liked a lot of the out-of-time stuff. It's good. When they get to the road, yeah, they're like, it's, it's really a good. Black River! Ah! <laughs> yeah, I liked all the things that they did with interacting with modern elements. Oh my god. With, Satan. You know, things that, they oh weren't, god. Yeah, things that they weren't familiar with. But And it didn't bother me in a huge way, but there were like a lot of places where like they're supposed to not be familiar with things but like the dialogue that they use like yeah, that's in in, like very modern things you know it's like things that would be kind of like anachronistic but like it was not a big deal to me but it was just like you know in one scene you don't know what a road is or you don't know what a bus is but then like you're using this word or that word that like you also shouldn't know but yeah, that it's was fine. one of my nitpicky complaints that were done here, too. I would say it would be something similar to, like, in A Knight's Tale. Like, they're singing, we will rock you, and talking, and, like, the person has, like, the Nike symbol on their armor, things like that. It's all very intentional. Yeah, it's, it's an intentional anachronism, where in Hocus Pocus, like, you know, if you're going from one scene to the next, we're like, oh, we don't understand what this is. But then, like, you're using a word. And it's like there's kind of a unbalanced expectation. Yeah. For me, the only time it, it really caught me out was, uh, and this is something I was going to talk about in the other section. It doesn't matter. But when they're flying next to the car that Max is driving, she goes, wants to see his driver's yeah. permit. And like, oh, if you don't pull over, you're resisting arrest. And is throwing out these terms that, like, she just a few scenes ago didn't know what a bus yeah. was. Yeah. And so that, like, was like, okay. Yeah, it was definitely for the sake of making the joke than for sort of respecting yeah. the integrity of the character. It wasn't much, no. though, so it didn't really do too much bullying. Out. What did you guys think of the cat? Is that, like, a beloved character? Do people like the cat? I didn't watch this a lot. I mean, yeah. I don't mind him, and I understand why they needed him in the story and everything. Yeah. But, like, now that it's, like, 2020 and I, like, watch it, it's just, like, CGI and everything, you know, just like, ooh. Yeah. I like the guy voicing the cat. I thought the the voicing the cat was really good. He had some fun lines. I mean, like, the CGI and the effects for the cat were maybe not great, but I think as a character, I have mixed feelings about it this time. Like, I do feel like Binks was sort of a beloved character to me in the past, but his usefulness in this movie sort of came and went and he was just kind of like a thing that was there yeah Yeah. the secondary character i did love was the zombie is that billy or something yeah yes i love him i really remembered billy being involved in the movie like way earlier in terms of like teaming up with the kids but apparently that's not the case (laughs) yeah it's kind of a third act thing yeah i remembered him like cutting open the stitches on his mouth and like telling winifred to fuck off like very early on, but it really doesn't happen till the end of the movie. And I was like, oh. I also love the fact that she essentially murdered her ex-boyfriend for cheating on her with her sister. I like that it doesn't seem to have harmed her relationship with her sister, though. She's more mad at the guy. <laughs> I also like that she stitched his mouth shut so that he couldn't reveal her secrets through the afterlife. Yeah. So it's like, not only did you betray me in real life, like, you're not going to betray me in death. And knowing that's Doug Jones makes a lot of sense because he, like, he does such a good job with these characters he brings to life. And I got so much personality from the stumbling around zombie constantly getting his head knocked off and 
He's like so fed up with like having to follow these instructions. And then he's so nice to Danny after where he's like, you can come hop in my grave and I'll protect you. <laughs> it's like kind of creepy, but also sweet. Yeah. I always really liked him when watching the movies. I always looked forward to whenever he came on the screen. I feel like he stole the scene whenever he was yeah. on. I think that's pretty consistent with Doug Jones in a lot of movies because so much of what he's doing on screen is like nonverbal acting in a lot of cases. So there's like a lot of physicality that draws your eye and makes him enjoyable to watch. And he just really sells the performance. Yeah. I think my favorite scene in the movie, which is not going to be shocking, is Bette Midler's musical number. <laughs> when they all go to the town hall where all the parents are gathered for their fun town hall dance or whatever. And Max tries to expose the Sanders sisters in front of everyone. And then Bette Midler jumps into this jazzy, upbeat version of I put a spell on you and casts a spell on everyone to just dance the entire rest of the movie. Dance until you die. fun. Oh, yes. <laughs> I agree. I just love Bette Midler and getting her to like really flex all of her like muscles, like her acting and her singing and like her movement and dancing. And like she's such a triple threat. She can do anything. And so it's nice to get to actually see her do all of that. Yeah. I always also really liked the band that was on before them. Like the guys all dressed in skeleton costumes. Yeah. I was like, damn. You guys are cool. I wrote a note down. Like, they're pretty good. Right? I was like, yes. I'm digging this. I'd be at this party. Oh, I'd definitely be at that party. I think it's pretty interesting that pretty much everybody in town is like very into Halloween. You don't really come across yeah. anybody who is like not into halloween like there's nobody that's got like lights off when they're trick-or-treating and like there's a ton of people at this town hall party and just like you don't see anything that is like not related to halloween in town which is pretty much at, at odds with the real experience of most people because there's usually at least a couple people on a block or a neighborhood or whatever that don't participate but that really doesn't seem to be the case in the world of this movie I'm basing that off of mostly me because, like, it is Salem, and Salem is known for, you know, the Salem witch hunts, of course, and I've talked to people who've actually gone down to Salem for Halloween and stuff, and they've said that, like, the whole city gets real into it for Halloween. I'm sure that's really the case, but I imagine that there are still, like, a handful of people you know, who are not that interested in participating and you just don't see any of that at all, even as sort of like a passing thing while they're walking on the, on the street or something. Yeah, I wrote that true. down too. I just have like a curious note down here, even like when they're in school and like Max is the only one to like say anything about Halloween. Everyone else is like, Halloween is this real tradition and we all worship it. And like, I was like, whoa, you're just from LA. You don't understand. And then everyone is so into it. And I just wrote down like, I'm curious if this is like accurate to Salem in real life, which I think to some degree, obviously I'm sure Salem makes like a ton of money off Halloween tourism and like October tourism in general is probably real big in Salem. And I'm sure Rip 2020. Yeah, not in 2020. I'm sure they did go all out for something like like this so i had like a fleeting thought like and i wrote it down like i'm not sure if like everyone would be this into halloween but i'm sure more people in salem than average oh i have fun facts about this movie too Ooh. one in the scene where they're like running around cheering because they think they beat the witches after incinerating yeah. them you see you know that fountain that's in Vaguely. that scene yeah, it's a fountain there. It It is the fountain that is in the opening theme song of friends what? interesting it's the same fountain that is a fun fact yeah. Also, 
Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to originally play Max. Yes, I heard that. I have a note down here that the guy from the 1600s reminded me of Leonardo DiCaprio. That's funny, because like I was like, oh, this is just budget Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> That's funny that he would also have been in this movie. Yeah, he was doing uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape is why he wasn't able to do it. Mm. Yeah, and I think it was just, like, roughly when he started getting, like, really big in acting. I don't remember. Fun movie facts. <laughs> uh, one of the, one of my favorite, 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 favorite scenes with the Sanderson sisters that is so iconic to me and made me laugh so much when I first saw it is when they go, when they're at the house and they are looking for their brooms and they open the broom closet and it's, like, a mop, like, a new style broom and a vacuum cleaner. And so you've got Mary, who is you know flying on the vacuum cleaner and it's just so funny such a good scene i love that it comes back later when the kids like pull on the cord so she can't fly and go help (laughs) yeah i love just like psych eggs they're dumb like that they're great yes and stuff like that really helps show that this movie doesn't really take itself too seriously like it's yeah a serious movie but like it knows what it's about you know it's there's very high camp with these witches highest of camp it is Kenny Ortega special. <laughs> I love all the little things that they just are doing, even when the camera's not 100% on them. Like when uh, Sarah just like grabs a spider and eats it, and she's just like chewing on it and playing with it for a while. Uh, I love like the way they hop and like walk together in unison where they're like hiked up their skirts a little bit. And they're like bobbing in unison down the hall together. And like, mm-hmm. there's just like little visual things that are so good. Yeah, I agree. I always thought it was so funny whenever they walked in in sync like that. It was always like, oh, they are on a mission. And their costumes are so gorgeous. So The flying CGI looks terrible, but every time they are (laughs) flying, their capes and their cloaks are just so flowy. And it's like perfectly flowy every time. So even though it looks like they're just on a wire and it's not very good looking... For the flying part of it, it doesn't really even matter because, like, the dramatic cape moment is so good. I remember seeing um, at Fan Expo one year uh, in Vancouver, we saw three uh, women dressed up as the Sanderson sisters, and they did it so well. It was really good. Uh, that'd be such a fun cosplay to do. Totally. And it because they're such iconic looks and they're not, like, too heavy on props either, it's, like, such a good group look to do. There's one point in time where I think they're outside Allison's house and Danny goes, eh, rich people. And I was like, uh, oh my God, the house yes. that you guys live in is humongous. Like, you are also probably rich people. <laughs> I understand that from the context of the movie, you're probably supposed to be like middle class. I don't know. But like, you are probably also rich people based on your house. Wow. Yeah. In the movie Bitches Review, they talk I mean, a in lot the- about max's room and like the size and the tower and like all of that (laughs) that doesn't surprise me at all with that and the rich i love that scene by the way i want to talk about that for a second but they seem to be living in like a two-story middle-class house that in the 90s in salem probably wouldn't have cost you you know three billion dollars and then that house seemed to be like a like mcmansion style house so i did see a bit of a difference there in the 90s it's probably more of a pronounced difference where if this was in 2020 they would probably have to be living in like a rancher and then their house would be the fancy rich house plus like as soon as you walk in and you see all of her parents in these fancy outfits and their masks which compared to the town hall party 
looks like the most boring party to ever exist. Yeah, I think it was more supposed to be, like, historical reenactment kind of thing, as opposed to just, like, a general costume party kind of thing. Mm. It was very period-specific. I absolutely love... This is probably my favorite Danny moment, where it was like, eh, rich people, they'll probably make us drink cider. And then the second they walk in the house, it's like, do you guys want some (laughs) cider? I was like, I don't know if that's a rich people thing, but I love it. Just the idea that she knows rich people trick-or-treating houses so well that it's like, oh, they're just going to give us cider. That's also the the moment they decide to all go check out the abandoned uh, dead witch's house. And I wrote down, like, I love Halloween, but I'm out when it turns to let's go check out the abandoned dead witch's house made of dead children's bones. (laughs) Like, uh, that's my line. See, I would have been all for that. I'd be like, I'll be like, fuck yeah, let's go check out this abandoned place that was a witch's house. I'm there. I'd be like, let's go. And then if somebody said, let's go inside, I'd be like, I'll wait for you out here. My relationship with like ghosts and the supernatural and stuff like that is like, I don't necessarily like believe in that stuff, but also I don't fuck with that stuff either. So. I mean, as long as you don't mess with a Ouija board, you're fine. Yeah, there's things I'm not... I, I've got very strict lines that go all over the place, such as Ouija boards. I also have lines like, don't go in the ocean, you'll just die, <laughs> it's tempting fate. So, you know, my, my lines are all over the place. I'm constantly telling people who are going on cruise ships, like, you're just tempting fate. What did you guys think of the ending of the movie? I mean, it's a very stereotypical ending. Like, I wasn't surprised at the ending of it, but I didn't hate the ending. I may have cried a little bit over the dead CGI oh, cat. no. Not gonna lie. But he got to be with his sister. Yeah. It's the resolution of, like, hundreds of years of having to be alive, and now he gets to go and, like, be dead for real. When obviously fake CGI dead cat is laying on the ground and Danny cries and goes over to it, I'm like, it's just a dead CGI cat, but oh god. <laughs> It's a cat, and I love it. You cared about that even character. Even a real attachment to it. <laughs> it's just animals, right? Like, even when the animal got, like, the cat got run over by that bus, and then it, like, inflates itself, and it's kind of horrifying, and it's like, oh, God, animals. Well, there's also, like, a fraught moment where, like, everybody's looking at this flattened cat, and you're like, oh, shit, because it's not very far into the movie when that happens. And you're like, yeah, oh, Zachary is just fucking dead now. And then the reinflation of his yeah. body is a very unsettling thing to watch though very very early 90s yeah like it's it's clearly not supposed to be horrifying but it kind of is it kind of is i don't remember do you hear the bones like popping back oh i don't remember that i think so yes not very loud but they're there yeah you know, hear a rib pop back in place. <laughs> as far as the ending, I I did like that we got the fake ending. Like, they think they've killed them, and then they actually come back, and then we have another act. But I I don't know if it was, like, really nailed it for me. It was it was kind of a little odd. Like, I had some things written down. Like, I don't know why Winnie turned to stone, and the other two just poofed, and then Winnie poofed. I think she wasn't, like, in direct sunlight when the sun came up, and then it was, like, when it was able to peek through the leaves of the tree that she exploded into dust but the other two were in the sky and just like got hit immediately i think that's kind of what it is but i was similar i was like i don't understand why she turned into a statue i think it also might have been because at that point max had taken the potion and she had started to suck his soul or life force whatever they do and so maybe she had a little bit 
more time for herself, but she needed to like consume the whole thing to stay alive That's forever. Possible. I did think the way that they lured them into the kiln at the school with like the French language tape was really clever, but I would have wanted to like stand outside and like make sure that they were like gone, gone for good. Yeah, I didn't quite see that coming because like they're in the back alley when i forget her name the girl allison allison when she opens the oven by accident and then thinks it's going to bring them back but then goes oh i've got an idea i wrote down like lol what you're just going to throw them in an oven and burn them lol (laughs) and then it happened i was like i didn't actually think that was going to be your plan that's so brutal like they literally just locked them in this kiln and just sat there and watched the bird alive and like smile that i was like oh god <laughs> i couldn't help but think about like, some of the items that were in the kiln and i was like what if those weren't ready to be fired and now they're ruined and like <laughs> some poor kid put a lot of work into that that poor tape deck <laughs> rest in peace tape deck it I, stand a chance. I did like that when they come out winifred has clearly absorbed some french so she's speaking in english and french it's she blows the door off. Like, I would like some children. The fact that they woke up in, like, the middle of the night, their parents weren't home, and they, like, were only sort of passively worried about that was also, I mean, what are you going to do if your parents are out partying? You can just assume that they're having a good time and they'll be home when they're home. But, like, five o'clock in the morning or whatever, like, oh, shit, my parents are still not home. And also, like, there was a witch there that clearly cast a spell. Yeah. Maybe I should be worried about that. I think they thought that, like, when they killed them, that the spell would be broken. That's a possibility, yeah. That makes sense. That's probably they weren't as concerned about it as they should have been. I also thought it was very weird. I guess if there's anything else that we want to talk about that worked, we can just kind of transition into what didn't. This isn't isn't really something that didn't work for me. But, like, when Athera's, like, singing her song and she's luring all these children, it's, like, 3 o'clock in the fucking morning. And, like, half of these children are still wearing their costumes. Like, most of these kids go to bed at, like, 8 o'clock. Like, why are there not more kids just in pajamas? I can answer this. Please do. (laughs) Being someone who, yeah, you know, trick-or-treated most of my childhood, you build up such excitement on the day, and you're eating candy all night, and you're walking around more than you're used to, usually staying up later than you're usually staying up on that on a particular night. So sometimes, you know, you just crash, and sometimes you just crash in your costume. It's happened to me on more than one occasion when I was a kid. You didn't have the kind of parents that, like, cautiously took some of your costume off so that you were reasonably comfortable while you were sleeping? They took off anything, like, if I was wearing, like, wings or a hat, and they'd wipe, like, my makeup off and stuff, but they usually would just let me, let me sleep. Like, so many of these kids, like, still had masks on or they had face paint on or something, and I was like, what the hell? I guess (laughs) it's for, like, ease in movie where you're just like, you're all still in costume, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like I said, it wasn't a big deal, but I was just like, um, children go to bed very early. This seems very strange to me. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of this movie, before we move on to the stuff that didn't work so well, was seeing some of the terrible kids' costumes in the background. I especially liked watching the kid dressed as a bad Sonic walk through the background oh. of this movie. It just went, oh my god, that's Sonic, but it's so bad. Oh, I love it. Like, the girl dresses Mrs. Potts. Yes. The little Mrs. Potts. And, like, there's some great, terrible kids' costumes. I loved it. I need to rewatch this immediately and just look at costumes in the background, because I didn't really pay too much attention to them. The bad Sonic, I n- never noticed. I shouldn't have seen Sonic Kid. Sonic Kid was yeah, intense. It's, it's the scene right before they meet that guy who's dressed up as the devil. Yeah. That's a good reference point. Should we move on to things that didn't work for us? 
My personal thing that I dislike the most, even though it's not really that big of a deal, is actually Allison. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> like, she does nothing. She's just kind of there <laughs> to be a love interest. And the one time she does something, it's something bad. Because she opens the book and sends the witches their location. Yeah, I basically just wrote down at some point, I feel bad for this nameless girl I can't remember the name of that Max likes and is just kind of here for the ride with no personality or stake in this at all. Like, I, think... I, li- I didn't hate her. Like, I liked her, act- the actress, and she was doing a good job with what she was given. She didn't, like, pull focus away. She wasn't, like, one of those terrible child actors. But she didn't do really much. I will say she had one scene that I actually really like, and that was like one of her first scenes is when Max comes and talks to her after class and she gives him back her his own phone number. Yeah. Yeah. That is probably treat and hands him the folded paper that he thinks is her number and he unfolds it as she walks away and it's just the number he gave her. Yes, I will say that is the best scene with her, but overall, yeah, I have no strong feelings towards Allison. It's just kind of there. I thought I was going to like her more because of that. And then when she tells Max off in class, like the real meaning of Halloween and all this, like I thought yeah. she had, she was kind of spunky and had like a lot of fun personality at the beginning and then kind of gets shoved to the side as Max and Danny take over. Yeah. Allison is just a handy plot device. She's the one who knows that the Sanderson's house has been converted into a museum that her mom used to work at and is closed. And, like, she's, like, the entry point for them to do other things. Or you're saying (laughs) she's a sexy lamp. Yeah, she's a sexy lamp, for sure. Although I feel very weird saying that about a 16-year-old child in a movie. But, yeah, for all intents and purposes. I did break down that, like, when I was young and watching this movie, I probably had a huge crush on Max because he was kind of cute. But I was so much younger. There was, like, a weird amount of, like, sex and sexuality in this movie, though. So, like, it was there. All of that stuff was there. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about Max's virginity. It's definitely, like, a movie that is, like, supposed to be a family movie. So it's not necessarily oriented at children. And it's got, like, a level of scariness to it so that, like, parents can watch it as well. And now those types of movies tend to include a lot of jokes that are intended for people who are older than 10 years old. Uh, another one of my cons I have down in my notes is at the very beginning when they're in the 1600s or whatever it was for Salem. I just, I couldn't take their super cheesy English accents very seriously. And it was just, I ended up just laughing at some Fair. of the things they said in it. And it's like, go get the town elders. I won't lie. I watched the the movie The Witch It might have been earlier this year. It's hard to remember. But a lot of the dialogue that was in that was taken from, like, actual writing from the time. And they definitely talked like that. So even though it sounds silly, it is kind of period appropriate. Interesting. I I understood. I think it was just, like, how maybe the actors were saying it that got me. reasonable. It definitely contrasted heavily off the almost modern aesthetic of the Sanderson sisters, even in the past. They felt very modern, even in the 1600s. Yeah, the vibrancy of their costuming was really at odds with sort of the um, more drab coloration of the past, and that's what made them stand out so much, even in the present, where, you know, like, there were not necessarily, like, muted colors, but, like, compared to the vibrancy of their costuming and also the acting of the three witches in general they're really set apart from basically everybody else 
I didn't really have anything that like didn't work for me. This movie is great and it's a fun movie to return to because it's just a fun watch. But I would say that Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker and like Kathy and Jimmy are at like a fucking 15 while everybody else is like maybe at like a nine or a 10 in terms of like their delivery. They're on a much different level in terms of their performance than everybody else. But that's not necessarily a detriment. Not for me anyway. I was surprised at how well I thought that Max and Danny specifically stood against the Sanderson sisters in what you're saying. Like they're always at a 15 and I definitely don't think Danny and Max are at a 15, but they weren't at like a three. Like I got a lot of emotion from their delivery of lines and Especially Danny was had so much spunk and personality in her, and like this like little feisty girl that I thought like really helped. Like if it was the kids from Halloween Town in this, like I don't know, that would have been weird. Like just the tone, I think would have been thrown off. Like I thought they rose to the occasion for the tone. Yeah. I mean, everybody was like giving their best performance, but you're you've got three absolute powerhouses as the Sanderson sisters, and they're just like on another level altogether. I don't have very many cons for this. I had some other cons in here. A lot of it's nitpicky stuff. Like, the cat, like, obviously, apart from all the CGI stuff with the cat, I just thought that it was a little bit kids movie-esque, which it is, in a way, to, like, just be, I've been here for 300 years protecting this house, and I'm just, like, thinking logistics of this, like... You're too well-adjusted for someone who hasn't talked to anyone, apparently, in 300 years and just been sitting out here guarding this house. If you only come here and guard around Halloween, what are you doing for the other 364 days of the year? Like, you've been around for 300 years. I want a Game of Thrones-level five-book story about what you've been doing for 300 years. Like, not, not actually, but, like, I just had so many questions. I was just furiously typing down all these questions I had about this stupid cat. And, like, what's this cat been doing? What's this cat eat? Does the cat, like, is he gone mentally crazy? Does he think he's an actual cat now? Does he forget his other human life? I'm just furiously typing down questions ahead about this cat. <laughs> it threw me. <laughs> Obviously, I don't super care. It is a kid's movie, and it's just a thing. For the food, though, he does say in, like, the old crypts that he hunts mice there often. Okay, interesting. It's just, like, 300 years, man. I would go insane. Like, I could you imagine being trapped in a non-aging body of a cat for 300 years, knowing that if you talk to anyone, they'll probably throw you in like some sort of FBI lab and they'll just be murdered and brought back to life and murdered and brought back to life old guard style forever. Well, they like, there's just so many things that this is bringing <laughs> up in my mind. That it's just I like, mean, if they're in Salem, then he could have just like found a witch and become a familiar. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. I thought it was pretty funny when Danny goes, lol, you're my pet cat now forever. <laughs> Even though you're a 300 year old <laughs> dude. This is like, whoa, Danny. Did you ask him if that was okay? Just because he's a cat doesn't mean you can't still get some consent. <laughs> yeah. The whole curse threw me a little bit as well, which is like, if your entire curse revolves around a random virgin lighting a candle that everyone already knows that's the curse and that will summon you again, why is it prominently displayed in a museum and not smashed or burned or... I have a better idea. Just have someone who's not a virgin light the candle, wait for it to burn all the way down, and then you're fine, apparently? Question mark? It's just everyone in the town knew that it had to be a virgin on Halloween or whatever to, to light it. Like, that part of the curse was super well-known still. It was prominently displayed in this museum. Everyone knew about it, and it was just, like, waiting there. It's like the spindle thing in Sleep Beauty. It's like, why? 
This is a dumb curse. Well, I don't think anyone yeah. thought it was real. In, in 1673, they sure did. Oh, yeah. And they just kept it. I'm sure there's someone in that town that had sex and could light the candle. No, that's a sin. <laughs> yeah, it's true. No one in Salem ever had sex. <laughs> I'm just thinking, listening to you describe that whole scenario, it's like, also, given the nature of teenagers, like, before 1993, when this movie is taking place, that, like, why were they not brought back way earlier? Yeah. Because, you know, in the 80s or in the 70s or something, some stupid teenager would also go in there and do a similar thing. You're like, let's light the candle, yuck, yeah. yuck, and then... I mean, for all we know, it could have been lit by a lot of non-virgins. That's true, but I think anybody going in there and jokingly lighting it yeah. because they think it's not fake, they'd make sure that whoever's doing it like is a virgin so that they can prove that it's fake. But it's not a big deal. It's just, you know, now that we're talking about sort of the specifics of it, like literally anybody at any time who's a stupid teenager could have gone in and done this. It seems just as I also likely. wasn't a super huge fan. These are all nitpicky things, but I wasn't a super huge fan of the whole plot element of like, oh, we need to get my book back because I can't quite remember my spell from it. Like, oh, let's just try it anyways. Oh, it doesn't work. We need to get that book back. And the whole time I'm thinking D&D rules, like, even a level one wizard knows to copy their spellbook down and make a backup. Like, <laughs> come on, Winnie, where is your backup spellbook? I know this is personally gifted you from by Satan, but I'm sure you wouldn't mind if you made a copy or two. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair criticism. That is, yes. Especially for, like, a spell that they seem to cast, like, pretty regularly so yeah. that they could stay young, put it on a scroll and, like, tuck it away somewhere. I also wasn't 100% sure, like, it was a good idea to do the whole luring kids there thing and then it raised the whole element of like okay so you've lured kids here you have your brood potion to feed a child and suck their energy and live another day but instead of that we're not going to use any of these hundreds of kids we've charmed here we're going to fly after danny in the last minutes of our waking existence and try and do it on danny because we hate her rather than take the safe route steal the energy of one of these random children and then like tomorrow go kill Danny. Like they, they yeah, had it know. right there. It's that frustrating thing they do in movies where it's like, it's right in front of them. Just reach out and grab it. But no, we're going to do this other thing. Yeah. It's not like there's the prophecy that you have to suck the life force from one specific child. Yeah. Like any, any child will do. It literally lured hundreds of them. Yeah. <laughs> Those poor kids. <laughs> I think Mary or someone says, like, let's just do it with these ones. But, yeah. like, I think Winfrey was like, no, like, I want revenge now. Yeah. Like, okay, calm down. She's the smart one. But everyone has their their weaknesses, and hers is definitely vengeance, it seems. Yeah. None of these things, obviously, do a whole lot to ruin this experience for me because... I really liked it way more than I thought I would for a Halloween kids movie that came out in 93 that I never watched as a kid. So I don't have any nostalgia going into this. And just overall, I thought it was a really good movie. Like it just worked on so many levels for me still. Well, let's apply a ketchup scale ranking to it. Jamie, where would you put it on our ketchup scale? Perfect as is. Could use some ketchup or douse it. Perfect as is. Craig, who are you putting it on the scale? I'm going to give it a perfect as is, yes, of course. I also am going to give it perfect as is. Uh, I am still upset that it has 37% critic score. That is unreasonable, baseless, and unfair. I would be interested in reading some of those after this and seeing what the hell they saw that we didn't, or vice versa. 
So for my movie pick this week, I chose Halloween Town. This was my big movie growing up as a kid that I watched every year. So the year release on this is 1998. The director is Dwayne Dunham, and there's three credited writers, though it seems like Paul Birnbaum was the one who did most of the story here, with John Cooksey and Allie Marie Matheson also on this. So Dwayne Dunham has uh, directed two episodes of our favorite religious indoctrination TV show, Seventh Heaven, or second favorite, if you count Touched by an Angel, which slapped. Also a bunch of other TV shows, such as Twin Peaks and Jag, and then a large amount of DCOMs, Disney Channel original movies, and some pretty good ones, such as Double Teamed, the one with twins who play basketball, Tiger Cruise, the really weird 9-11 DCOM with Hayden Panettiere and Bill Pullman, that was a little yikes, and Now You See It, the one about magicians with Allie from Allie and AJ. So some real good ones here. And he also apparently helped edit Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Just weird. <laughs> and then Paul has done a lot of work on Rugrats, wrote a ton of Rugrats, and also wrote the amazing sequel to this movie, Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge, among another slew of TV movies and TV shows. Everyone here seems to be in the TV movie realm. So this movie stars the wonderful, perfect angel Debbie Reynolds as the grandmother, Eggie Cromwell, Kimberly J. Brown as the eldest sister, Marnie, Joey Zimmerman as the brother, Dylan, and Emily Rizeki as the youngest and probably the best sister, Sophie. Also, Judith Wegg as their mother, Gwen. So this one has, as I've alluded to, an 80% tomato meter for the critic score which is almost triple what hocus pocus got and a 72 percent audience score so the tagline for this movie is a disney channel original movie because this aired on tv and i can't find a movie poster tagline so it's just a disney channel original movie and the premise here is young marnie and her siblings are forbidden by their mother to take part in halloween but on marnie's 13th halloween when her mysterious grandmother shows up to visit as always she learns she's actually part of a long line of Cromwell witches and must return with her grandmother to their home of Halloween Town to save it from dark, evil forces. Which story are you going to tell us, Grandma? Is it one I know? Oh, no, I wouldn't think so. Uh, my story is about a magical place where many different sorts of creatures live together in peace. Like Cleveland? I hear they have a nice school district. Well, actually, the place I'm speaking of is called Halloween Town. And the residents are a bit more exotic. Monsters, goblins, ghosts and vampires, gnomes and skeletons. Do they have dibbics and banshees there, too? By the dozens. And, of course, a few very fine witches. So I picked this one as my go-to Halloween movie that uh, Leanne wasn't as familiar with. I think, Leanne, you said you've seen maybe little bits of it. Now that I've seen this one, I can say that I haven't seen any of this, but I think I've seen bits of some of the other ones. Yeah, we talked a little bit about it, but it was a toss-up for me between this and Calabar's Revenge, the second Halloween town. But if you weren't super familiar with this, obviously you had to start with this. Calabar's Revenge is amazing, though. Yeah, this is the one I watched basically every year and have gone back to not as much in recent years, but I generally do go back to this one quite a lot as like my big nostalgic one. So Leanne, what were your overall thoughts on this one? Um, I liked it. It was a lot of fun. It was very lighthearted, you know, it was not super high stakes. And I thought that for the most part, 
like everybody did really good in terms of like the acting. I really liked Marnie. I loved Sophie. She really stole the whole movie for me. And a lot of movies that we watched that have like a younger brother. I usually hate the younger brother so much, but I loved him in this. He yeah. was just like so deadpan, like serious, like adult in a small child's body, but he was so good and I enjoyed him quite a lot. So yeah, no, it was good. Jamie, is this one you'd seen a lot of? What was your kind of views going on in this one? I have seen this a couple times. It has been a while since I come back to Halloween Town. So it was kind of fun coming back to this story and everything. Watching it, though, it was very much a Disney Channel original movie. <laughs> Not in a bad it way, a but it, overall, it was a fun story and I did enjoy watching it. Yeah, I like this one even as an adult, just because it is very, it's so full of joy. I think that's the main thing I get out of this movie is just it just radiates joy. And I think a lot of that has to do with Debbie Reynolds is probably one of my favorite people. I just love her to pieces and she just brings such loving grandma warmth. And I love that kind of energy. And she's just uh, she's such a beacon of joy. I just love her. Rest in peace, Debbie Reynolds. One thing I loved was in the opening scene where Marnie's trying to convince her mom to let her go to a costume party and she's being shut down. She goes, I'm 13. I'm old enough to make my own choices, right? And like one of her friends is like, is there an age for that? <laughs> like, unfortunately, there is an age for that. Making your own decisions is annoying. <laughs> I related a lot to the opening of this movie, the whole, like, you're not going out on Halloween. I'm like, all of this feels very familiar for religious families. And, like, it was framed as, like, it was very weird that she was banning Halloween and, like, they weren't allowed to talk about Halloween. It's like, what's weird about Halloween, Mom? This is so weird that you're, like, what's your deal with Halloween? The whole time I'm just thinking, like, she's probably just really religious. <laughs> like, there's a great <laughs> explanation for this. She's just really religious. <laughs> Obviously, that's not the reason here. I like that everyone just knew not to go to their house. Like, everyone in the neighborhood knew. It's like, oh, it's that house. <laughs> like, that was kind of our house for a while, too, right? Like, it's 100% undecorated, and and there's only, like, the few kids that would even dare try and ring their doorbell. When we would, like, turn our lights off, like, kids would come up all the time and, like, ring the doorbell and, like, knock on the... I hated being home, having to do the lights off thing. It's, like, so annoying until about, like, 8.39 when most people were finished with their trick-or-treating. But, like, it never really was a deterrent for anybody. Most people respected it when we did it. Uh, I think it was kind of a known thing in our neighborhood. I think it really depends neighborhood to neighborhood. Like some neighborhoods, it's like lights on or you don't go there. Yeah, it was similar like that for me whenever I went trick-or-treating. If there was lights on, but there was no decorations, we would usually still go yeah. up. But if there was no lights on, we're just like, mm, go to the next house. The way that like, the kids were talking about, like, oh, don't go to that house, kind of made me feel like there was, like, some weird, like, warding on the house or something that was, like, trying to deter people from going, as opposed to just, like, oh, they're very staunchly anti-Halloween, just, like, don't go there. So I wasn't really sure what to expect after sort of that sort of initial scene before we go inside the house. Can we just talk for a very quick, quick moment about Marnie's outfit in the opening scene where she's got these like day glow orange pants on and like this sheer yellow blouse like tied over her black tank top. Like it is the most 90s thing ever. But at the same time, it's like that is a look. It's a fashion icon. Yeah, it's a look. I loved it. <laughs> I want that sheer top. Yeah, I mean, everything she wears in this movie she is great. She McGuire a run for her money. She really could. I thought it was really funny, the outfits that uh, the grandmother brings them all to try on. The mom's just like, oh, I brought them Halloween outfits. And it's like a bad Viking outfit. 
I forget what Dan or um, what Sophie's is already. She was a ghost. ghost. Oh yeah, just a ghost. And then Marnie's like, "I'm a wicked." And it's like a princess dress. It's like a princess dress. It's like I was pretty sure, sure that Dylan's costume was actually supposed to be a beetle. Is it not a Viking? No, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be a beetle because he's like really into nature and shit like that. So I feel like she was trying to give him like an interest appropriate costume, but he couldn't figure out what it was. But I was like, you look like a beetle. I thought he had like horns and long braided. Yeah. Hair. They've got little pincers on like the front. So I, he had like braided hair. I thought, I thought he was supposed to be like a troll. Cause he kind of looked like one of the trolls in Halloween town. When we go there. Oh, maybe. Well, apparently the costume is up for interpretation since none of us can decide. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love, uh, I just, I love the grandma so much. Like, don't worry, dear. I'm not going to tell them a thing about Halloween Town. Five seconds later, you're all witches. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's very on the nose. Here's this book that's definitely not about oh, what? you. That's, that's you in the book. Oh, I'm just going to tell you this whole story. And it's like, oh, she was so sassy. Well, looking. I'm not saying that it's fake, but I read it in this book, and that means that it could it could yeah. be true. Like. I liked the bus that she arrived on. You know, there's, like, the bus stop that, like, drops down. I think it's funny that it's, like, a yellow school bus that they use to, like, get between Halloween Town and, like, the mortal world. I like the very slow fall the grandma did. She yeah, the bus itself the bus. reminds me a lot of the night bus from Harry Potter, and her descent from the bus reminded me a lot of Mary Poppins, which I think was intentional because she's got the carpet bag and everything as well. Yeah. The bus reminded me more of, like, the magic school bus, I think, than, like, the night bus. A fair comparison. But just, like, in terms of the fact that she's, like, magical and you can kind of summon it at a certain place. That's sort of where my association is coming from. I remember being a kid and, like, looking out on the street on Halloween and, like, hoping the bus would show up. It was something I really... I remember doing a lot. Like, the bus was so special to me and, like... Love a magical bus and everything, you know, whether it's my neighbor Totoro and the cat bus. Love magical buses. It was like a strong thing in my childhood, was magical buses. But I think a lot of that, and we can get, we'll get to Halloween Town itself in a second here, but I like that this movie has such a strong theme of it's okay to be weird. It's okay to be a freak. And there's like this magical world where you could go where like being different is accepted and not only accepted, but like celebrated. And it's like this really mun like that's one of my favorite things let's just talk about it it's the halloween town itself when they go to halloween town it's this otherworldly place where all the halloween monsters have gone away from the mortal world because they want to live these like nice lives and they've got like a bowling league and like a cinema and a barber shop and a sauna for ghosts and it's just like this very mundane world where spooky creatures are just allowed to be themselves and be accepted and be loved and it was like that's all i wanted as a kid that felt weird and like a freak was to like go somewhere where i was accepted and it's like halloween town is that place yeah i liked halloween town a lot one thing that i liked um generally about this movie was like all of the monsters all of the facial prosthetics like they were obviously very costumey and they were intended to look that way but i thought like the overall look and like the way that they function you know like characters were talking and stuff like that was really good so even though it was kind of like really sort of cheesy looking the actual like work of it was really well done and i appreciated that a lot it is a very distinct theme, like or like a look and a tone and a theme to it. Like the Halloween Town monsters just have that specific look about them that, while isn't very realistic, it's all uniform and it's like 
not scary. It's a little uncanny at times, but it just really set the mood for Halloween Town really well. I just love the fact that like the first thing we get really of Halloween Town was when the grandma comes off the bus and she's talking to like her neighbor and she was like, Oh, I'm helping out at the like headless shelter yeah. or wherever it was. And it's just like, Oh, okay. This is what I'm walking into. I love into. how mundane it I is. It. It's just like this world where all these like werewolves and vampires live together and like do a bowling league. It's so cool. Headless people need shelter too. I always loved the big pumpkin centerpiece, too. I thought that looked really good, and it makes such an iconic like centerpiece to this town that we're constantly seeing and plays such a big part. There is a scene with this that is one of my cons that I'll get to when we talk about that, but I agree that the pumpkin is like, that is what you think of when you think of Halloween Town, is that center yeah. pumpkin. And just like Hocus Pocus in this movie, we have a- another extremely badass yeah, little sister the three kids sophie's it's amazing funny how both these two movies are about three kids like an older sister and an older guy and then like the younger sister or like not older sister like an older girl an older guy and a younger girl like it's all the same trio kind of in both and again like the, yeah. the young girl just like just steals all the scenes here right from the get-go like sophie was so cute i loved her the actress who played her did such a good job she's just like such a sweet character really sort of like embodied the idea of like oh spells are easy you just like think about what you want and it happens like when she's like i push the gate open and then she says to herself as her, her siblings pass because i wish that the lock was a frog like that sort of childish innocence you know makes yeah. it a lot easier for her to like do magic because it's easy to just be like i want this thing and then like it happens it was interesting that compared to Danny, she's like a much different character, right? Danny was so, she seemed like she was older than her age. She was very sassy, had like such strong will. And like, she was a very different character, but like, I loved her so much. And then in this, Sophie is similar in that she's like crazy strong and like, like has all these magical powers and stuff, but the innocence there was so endearing to me. I absolutely loved her. I definitely got the sense early on that Calabar was going to be evil or he was going to be involved with whatever was happening like oh, yeah. in Halloween Town because he definitely gives off that vibe. I was definitely like 100% Team Sophie when they first meet him and he like pulls a lollipop out of his ear and Sophie's like, no thanks. I'm like, yeah. Same. <laughs> but also, like, Creepy Mirror comes up. Hi, I don't think we've met. I'm Sophie! It's like, whoa, Sophie, a stranger danger? <laughs> I think your <laughs> overbearing mother would have taught you that. <laughs> I loved how, like, yeah, she is very naive in a lot of ways and very innocent, but, like, also she's quite clever and, like, knows instantly, like, mm, something's up with you. <laughs> I thought she had, like, weird, strange parallels to, like, Wanda from the Marvel Universe, too. Like, the idea that at such a young age, Sophie's powerful enough to just, like, bend reality and change anything she wants into anything else. It's, like, a little scary almost to think about. Like, Sophie's, like, real strong here. Like, every time that it's like, oh, we need more Cromwell witches to take part in this ritual, and Marnie would go, I'll help. I was just thinking to myself, like, get Sophie to help. Like, Sophie's the Cromwell witch you need to help you out here. <laughs> when Marnie was asking, she's like, am I a witch? Like, to her mom when she eventually shows up, I was almost expecting her to be like, no, sweetie, you're not. But, like, Sophie is, because she's clearly the one who's, like, got powers and has been able to use them. But thankfully, or not thankfully, you know, she confirms that she is, in fact, a witch. But it was definitely, like, moving in that direction for me. She's going to get 
her heart broken. I will say I don't think the mom did the right thing by hiding this all from her family. Because, like, if I found out that I was supposed to be a witch, but I didn't get to keep my powers because after my 13th Halloween, I lost them, I would be living. Oh, yeah, I had a similar note that I didn't think it was appropriate to, like, remove the choice to learn from her kids by just, like, not telling them that it was yeah. an option. Even at the beginning, when Marnie calls her out, like, you don't trust your own kids. And she goes, that's not true. And, like, it's 100% <laughs> true. Like, you're not giving them all the information so they can make their own choices. You don't trust that they'll make the right choice. That's the whole thing, is you don't trust them to make the choice you want them to make if you presented them with all the facts. So you're just going to hide it all from them. I could see most of the reasoning why she did it, at least. Probably something I put in the bad section for a lot of this, but <laughs> it didn't, like, super take me out because overbearing parents, you know, it's a thing. <laughs> I don't really think she gave a real justification for it. It was basically, like, your dad was human, you were born in the human world, like, you're going to be normal. Like, that was the whole thing. But, you know, like, they're half-witch, and they should be able to know that yeah. that is an option and, like, decide if that's something they want to pursue. It was the whole thing that she thought she knew better that... She thought it wasn't, it's the kind of tried and true, I know best, I'm your mother, being a witch is dangerous, blah, 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 we're just going to live normal lives, et cetera, et cetera. It's all bad, but very bad, obviously. I think, it's been a while since I watched the other ones. I think I like the mom a lot more than the other ones, but she really pissed me off in this one. Yeah, any movie where, like, a parent is willfully withholding information from their kids, that's, like, a decision that that child needs to make for themselves, and, like, nah, but then... Once you move past that, if there's sequels and that character is usually like a lot better because there's not that impasse that's going on. And also like you haven't like denied your child agency about their own personal development. Going back to the the main kid characters, though, here, I really like Marnie. I think she does such a good job of really bringing a lot of what I like about this movie, which is all the really the joy of it all. Like she's so enthusiastic about all the weird stuff, all the Halloween stuff when she's a kid and doesn't know about Halloween yet. She's still obsessed with it all. And just hearing her talk about all her Frankenstein movies on VHS. And and then when she does get to Halloween town and seeing her eyes just like go up like huge as she sees all this stuff and she loves it all so much. The broom shopping scene, like she just pours so much of like joy into this movie for me. I think Kimberly J. Brown does such a good job there, really capturing that like childhood joy of this movie that like every time I watch it I get I get a little bit of that back myself. That broom shopping scene is so funny to me because the brooms are just like these basic as hell like oh, they're kitchen the brooms. brooms. <laughs> they're the yeah. kitchen brooms that they've spray painted. Yeah. yeah. I mean like a corn broom is not an expensive thing to like use as a set piece but just the fact that they, they wanted these... them to look like hip and new <laughs> i mean i guess so. <laughs> they were idiots they were bad i will say i think that the brooms salesman was probably my favorite halloween town character it was so over the top that it was amazing he reminded me a lot of like a carnival barker in yeah. the way that he was trying to sell the broom to them yeah. There was a lot of just denizens of Halloween Town that I loved. Like, the werewolf barber was hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he, like, he's just so funny. Like, when he gets shaved on the back of his head, he's like, oh, this is a, this is a look I could pull off. Like, <laughs> oh, he was so funny. I just, a lot of them. The weird secretary, okay, I have a question. So, Calabar 
uh, has the secretary that runs up and interrupts him when he's talking to Gwen and is like, oh, you've got a message or something. And she's like dressed as a pincushion. Is she a pincushion or is she dressed up as a pincushion? Is she just a witch or a human? Or is she like, are there monsters that are just pincushions? <laughs> I think she's supposed Unclear. to be a pincushion. I don't she know. She made a lot of references to being a pincushion. She talked a lot about being on pins and needles. She kept repeating the joke because people weren't laughing. And I was like, it's not that great a joke. <laughs> Saying it more is not going to make it funny. I think it, it was, she was like, look, I'm a literal pincushion and I'm on pins and needles. <laughs> people were like, yeah, we get it. It's not that funny. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's clear. I think, I think she is supposed to be a pincushion, but it's not, I don't know. It's unclear. There's a lot of budgetary restraints here. I feel like where it's like half the people in Halloween town look really good with like full on prosthetics and costumes. And then the other half are just like, eh, you're like a mummy or something. Or just, like, a weird-looking human. Or you look like you came out of cats. There was, like, that one fairy person where I'm like, you literally just bought yeah, a costume. Yeah, totally. At a Valley totally. Village as the fairy. There's a lot of Valley Village budget went into this movie. Or not a lot, I guess. I loved the scene when they're going around <laughs> collecting all the ingredients for the potion. And we get the scene oh, yeah. where the dentist is, like, removing a fang from the vampire. Okay, I have a question about okay. this scene. He, like, because he, like, pulls the fang yeah. out, right? Does that fang grow back? Does Do they get a fake one? Because, like, isn't that how That's they eat? That's a good question. And I also was like, oh, wow, he removed, like, the actual <laughs> fang. That's a big deal. So, I don't know. That's not answered. I did like that. She was like, oh, wow, doctor, it didn't even hurt. And he was like, well, I am the tooth fairy. And I was like, I'm not sure what those two things have to do with each other, but sure. <laughs> I really like the ghosts on a scene. Again, many questions, but it was just funny. <laughs> Yeah, how did it go sweat, and why did it make him well, super Oh, because thin? those sweat box machines are supposed to, like, help people sweat off fat, allegedly. I don't think it's supposed to work that way. Well, quickly. I don't know, Marnie, like, jacked up the heat to maximum to get him to start sweating faster. That's true. I do have to say, uh, something I probably should have brought up before is that I watched this for this review with my two nephews, who are of the ages eight and five, roughly, in the ballpark. Okay. So first off, I had to look up this movie to see if the, if my five-year-old nephew could watch it. It recommended 7+. Plus, and I'm like, I don't remember being scary at all. It'll be fine. Well, my five-year-old nephew was out, like, pretty quick. Like, I think they were on the bus to Halloween Town, and he thought it was too scary. <laughs> There's, like, some people dressed oh. up as witches and ogres and things on the bus. It's, like, flying. There was a Frankenstein guy. on the bus. There's a Frankenstein on the bus, and... He goes out like, I'm too scared. I don't want to watch this one anymore. (laughs) So he went and uh, did a puzzle with my mother. And I continued to watch with my eight-year-old nephew. And he thoroughly enjoyed it. There were some points where he was pretty scared. We'll get to those. But um, it was interesting. I was wondering if you guys, I guess, Jamie, were you scared? Do you remember being scared of this as a kid at all? Like, I don't remember being. Mm, No, I don't think so. I thought it was just entertaining, but I might have watched it probably, I think I would say the first time I watched it was probably the same time as your yeah. age as your nephew, around I eight. Just, just jump ahead a bit, like, when they start to unveil more of the plot of Calabar, at this point it's, like, a cloaked figure, they don't know who it is, who, like, lures uh, their grandmother Aggie to the theater, and he's, like, popping out of the screen of the theater with all this black and purple smoke, and he's 
got a pretty horrifying, like, Scarecrow-esque mask on. He's floating through the sky, screaming all this horrible, horrible things about what he's going to do. And he literally, like, freezes the grandmother and the mother. And the kids are just, like, on their own at that point. And it got real. And my nephew was, like, watching through a blanket. Like, he was scared. And he had to look at me. And I had to, like, assure him that, like, no, they're going to be okay. Like, it's, like, it's a movie. And at the end... They're definitely going to save them. And like... <laughs> I can see how that scene would be scary. If I was thinking about any part of this movie, that would have been scary to me if I was watching it at a young age. That that scene definitely would have qualified because there's a lot that's happening with like the dark thing. Uh, I don't think he gets like a proper name at all in this movie. Nah, it's just the dark thing. And then Aggie and the mom, you know, they both get frozen and there's like the whole fight that leads up to them. So, yeah, I can see how that would be scary for a small child, especially if you don't sort of understand how movies work. Yeah. Some of the other things that really stood out to me, one thing that I don't know why it's one of the the visuals burned into my brain from this movie is the microwave in Aggie's house when they go there. I love Aggie's house. And it's instead of like start and stop and all that, it says bubble toil and trouble and she goes and hits bubble bubble and then toil and trouble and it's to like brew a potion in her microwave and it got me i remember it so much because it's like just this little sight gag that's so good i was just gonna mention that and i love that she uses instant witches brew box just the little details are so good I really wish my microwave had those settings. That'd be amazing. I wish that I had paid closer attention to see if there was like more options on the microwave other than just those three, because there probably were. But yeah, it was a very fun. Just the idea of like dumping instant wishes brew into your cauldron and like putting it in microwave. The fact that a microwave of any kind exists in the Halloween town world is just very funny. I also like that she, like, gives herself, like, a kick in the pants for buying instant and not doing it by scratch. That's a very grandmother thing to say. The other big standout, one of the big standout visuals for me that I always remember is the the psychic cab uh, with the skeleton driver that comes and picks them up at the beginning and towards the end. Just the animatronics are, like, crazy good in this thing. They Even now, I'm staring at it, like, how are they making his, like, cheekbones move separately and his eye sockets and, like looked really good and one thing i never noticed until this viewing is that it's like the psychic cab and it's got like we know where you want to go on the side and then inside on the little sun visor where he's driving he's got all these tarot cards there's like little things that i just didn't see until this time i noticed that too actually when i was watching it and in my mind i was like oh greg's gonna like this yeah i love tarot (laughs) love the skeleton driver like as a character i think like all of the jokiness uh every time he talked was a bit much yeah it was a a bit much but (laughs) yeah i like that he turned out to kind of be evil in the end and that they caught on to that i like that the kids weren't super like oblivious and they like they were a little smarter they caught on little things like that and then like i think it was sophie right who like unchange the dog to like stick it after the, the the skeleton yeah i missed her unchaining the dog so i assumed that she just wished a dog into existence which <laughs> that would have been even better <laughs> which would have made just as much sense i'm telling you she should join the avengers <laughs> <laughs> okay can we talk about the cool boy of halloween oh, town luke, luke. yep luke. big cheese <laughs> The moment he came on to the screen and it's like Marty and the fa- and them like driving by in the cab, I was just like, oh, this is the most 
90 things ever to have the bad boy just hanging out on the sidewalk, leaning against the lamppost. In his multicolored patterned vest. <laughs> right? I was just like, uh I think he had an yeah. earring, too. And was the handsomest like, oh. boy in Halloween Town. I knew that he turned into a monster at the end. I've seen this a lot of times. But for some reason, I remember him turning into, like, a leprechaun. And I think it's just my subconscious, like, getting to me. I remembered him always being, like, a troll. But I think it's because I'm remembering the second yeah, one. or the third one, right? When he has, like, no, the second one. Because he gets, like, a lot of, like, a sheer hair yeah. or something. Because he's, he's in the, in the second, second one. one. one I think. He's in the third one? I don't doesn't think he was he in the third Halloween, one. T- doesn't he go to Halloween High with her? You know what? I'll watch it and find out. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he went to Halloween High as well, and they were dating or something. No, because she dates the dude, the human dude. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> God, I need to rewatch those two again. I didn't hate Luke, honestly, and I don't know. I think it's probably because of his resolution by the end, where he, like, redeems himself. He's not a super effective bad boy, obviously. I... <laughs> He was kind of more fun or funny than annoying to me. I think my favorite scene with him is uh, with Marty, and he's, like, trying to ask her on a date and all this, and she's all, like, just go away. I did like that at the end that Luke admits, you know, that his motivations were very simple. He was like, he didn't even promise me anything. It was just like he made me handsome, and that was, like justification enough this is you know sometimes it doesn't have to be a big thing that convinces people to do yeah. bad stuff yeah that that was that felt very real to me too like i didn't question that like that seemed like yeah that would be enough for him and he promised he wouldn't hurt aggie and all this stuff right like it i believe all that especially at the age that these kids are meant to be at like that's when you start at least i did personally where you started like realizing that your looks like matter to some people oh yeah you don't hit like the status quo of like what is pretty i wish that in halloween town where everyone's supposed to be accepted for who they are that like it wouldn't be considered like undateable to be like an ogre or troll because like everyone's supposed to be loved and accepted in halloween town it's supposed to be our paradise for freaks (laughs) it's not supposed to be prejudice here unless you have valley village costumes (laughs) <laughs> yeah. One thing I always come back to in movies like this is a lot of the family elements. Like, I really like when you've got the whole, like, we're a family and when we join together, our magic is stronger type of thing. Like, the idea that, like, more than one Cromwell witch becomes stronger and then they all join hands at the end, all the Cromwells together, and that's what defeats the bad guy. And the idea of, like, families of witches is like in so much media that I love growing up and still love now. That kind of element to it, I, I love stuff like that. When you have to band together with your family to make your magic more powerful. Should we talk about some things that maybe didn't work for some of us? One thing we didn't actually touch on, I don't know, for me it's under the good section. I really liked the guy who played Calabar. I thought he was appropriately cheesy in camp for this movie, and that he did a good job of being kind of scary a little bit as a villain, and, like, a little mustache twirly cackly, like, ah, ha, 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 but, like, not too scary for a kid's movie. And he was kind of fun every time he showed up near the beginning and really sassy. Yeah, he's good. I mean, I only didn't mention him because, like, he wasn't a standout, but, it, like, it was everybody was really solid. I thought all of the kids were really good. Yeah, we didn't talk about the brother at all. We should talk about Dylan because he's pretty great. So you would put him under your good section. I love Dylan a lot. He was just, like, such a weirdly funny curmudgeon like, 10-year-old child, and it was just so funny to me. And he had some really great 
lines. There's a part where they're talking about how, like, everybody loves each other and is accepted. And he goes, like, <laughs> Cleveland. And then he justifies, he's like, what? I hear they have, like, a really good school district. I'm like, who are you? But... And even, like, when he's following Marty, he's like, well, I'm the man of the house, so I have to keep an eye on you. And I was like, yeah, about that. But uh, it's just, like, the delivery of it and sort of, you know, the meaning behind it. I was like, sure, okay. He was just so funny. And, I mean, he didn't really have a lot to do once they got to Halloween Town, other than make sort of observational things about how weird it was compared to where they were from. But, no, I, I liked him a lot. I thought all of the acting was pretty, pretty good overall. For me, I kind of flip back and forth. Like, I remember seeing this sometimes and thinking he was really funny and liking a lot of his quips. And then sometimes it's just like, oh, my God, just shut up. <laughs> like, just accept that Halloween Town is real, that all of this is real. You don't have to pretend it's all a dream. You don't have to make so many dumb, sassy remarks about how you like just like putting down Marnie a lot of the time. I felt like it was almost times where it's like Marnie is so enthusiastic in love with all this stuff. And then he's constantly like, well, it's not real. Well, it's fake. Well, mom wouldn't want us to be here. And just like kind of being a party pooper at times. But then I also, I really thought that the kid playing him did such a good job of delivering all of that, that I couldn't be super mad. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't like Matt levels of terrible sibling. No. I know that like Matt from Lizzie McGuire is like our baseline for like characters I hate. No, we do not but, stand Matt. Like, <laughs> yeah, he made fun of Marty, but it wasn't like malicious the way that a lot of these brother-sister relationships are often depicted in a lot of Disney stuff, strangely enough. But in like movies generally, I liked him. I will say I did like uh, whenever he was on the screen, he always like, I've decided this is just a dream and none of this is real. And he just kept that mortality throughout most of the film. And I was just like, stick to your guns. And like, when you're, he's definitely at an impressionable age where it's like, he's trying to rationalize what he's seeing. So just being like, this is all a dream. It's just like an easy way to, to do that. So what would we say were some of the things that didn't work so well for us in this? I didn't love that Marnie was like always being teased for liking quote unquote weird stuff. And it wasn't really ever made clear what kind of like stuff that entailed, but it also seemed like the kind of normal shit that a 13 year old girl would be interested in. Like she knew stuff about like Egyptian hieroglyphics and like, it wasn't super weird stuff to me, but it, it seemed like, you know, she was kind of, you know, she was like ostracized for like kind of liking normal shit. For me, uh, one thing that I didn't necessarily like that much was the fact that like Marty didn't really do any magical stuff. Like this whole yeah. thing was like, oh, I'm a witch. I can do this. I have powers. But she didn't do anything. Anything magical was done by her or sister. Her yeah. Or her grandmother or her mother. Even her brother. Yeah, especially because like the initial framing of the movie is like, oh, well, she's turning 13 and like it's important that if she's going to do anything that she does it now and then yeah, so, like, I wish they had let her actually do some, like, magic in this. Like, maybe, like, we were saying before that the sister, like, conjured up that dog. Like, if they had done that, if Marty had done that, I think that would have been, like, a good show of, like, oh, no, she does yeah. have powers. Or if when they were trying to get the vampire tooth and the werewolf fur and the ghost sweat, if they had used magic to kind of solve some of those problems... Yeah. In creative ways. Like, for a movie about a family of witches, there's, like, no magic. <laughs> and the little bit we get is really fun. Like, when they're at Aggie's house and she's doing magic in creative, interesting ways that are 
like weirdly mundane, like making soup, but it's like making a potion. Like if they'd applied some of that creativity and wit to magic in more parts of the movie, I think it would have been really good. Yeah, and it's like I do get that like she didn't know she was a witch and she's going throughout training and all that, but at the same time, like, all right, just, just give us a little. <laughs> yeah. Sophie's out here, like, memorizing old Welsh spells she heard one time by making up a song and, like, turning locks into frogs. And I'm like, Sophie, you're crazy powerful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was a little sad that we didn't get any of that from Marnie. Another thing that I did not understand was, I kind of mentioned this earlier about the pumpkin in the center. Yeah. Like, because, you know, they had to put, like, the Merlin's whatever thing they had. I forget what it's called. They just called talisman talisman a lot. Yeah. So, like, they had the talisman inside the pumpkin. But Marnie went the most bizarre way. Like, she went over the top when she literally could have just put it through the opened mouth of the pumpkin. I had the same thought. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that makes sense. And, like, I didn't think about it at first either, but then, like, later on in, like, after everyone wakes, you see the grandma put it through the mouth to place it in there. Do you? Yeah. Oh, that's bad. And then I'm just like, oh. I was like, why didn't she just do that? I did read a, th- a whole thing from uh, Kimberly, who plays Marty, talking about that scene and, like, crawling over the top of the pumpkin to, like, put it in and just having the director yell it out to- Calabar's just struck you with magic. You're paralyzed now. And her just like <laughs> pretending and like <laughs> just like kind of being a little confused over how she should act. And it's like, oh, that's kind of funny. That's the thing great. with Calabar's magic when he's like firing off his lightning, whatever things at everybody. I wasn't sure if those were intended to actually kill people or what. I was definitely expecting that he had like killed Marnie, which is kind of dark for this movie. Well, it seemed to be freezing them, and his seemed to be his goal was to kill anyone. It was to turn them into their original monstrous selves from the dark times and bring them all back to the human world to, like, spread fear and chaos. Hmm. Also, when he had, like, the, like, scarecrow mask on and stuff, he definitely looked like Palpatine from Star Wars. Break that down. Yeah. <laughs> Give me some mad Palpatine vibes. I was going right? to turn to my nephew, who's, like, really into Star Wars, and be like, does he remind you a little bit of Palpatine? But my nephew is staring at it through a blanket at that point. So. Uh, maybe drawing that parallel would have made it too scary. Yeah, and also I'm not sure if he's like allowed to watch all of Star Wars or if he just watches like part of it. I don't know. My sister Which has, parts would he be watching? My sister has very specific rules. I know. We had to skip the last half an hour of Sound of Music because he wasn't allowed to watch the part with the Nazis. So, so I don't know. I haven't asked. I don't know how much. I know that he hasn't seen the prequels. Oh, come on. He can at least watch the Clone Wars. (laughs) Nothing happens in that one. I think he's seen the Clone Wars TV show, maybe. I don't know. Uh, One thing that I didn't super love was the broom riding scene. uh, Both (laughs) because, A... The broom was dumb. B looked pretty bad when she was flying it. But also, like, her and her grandmother are flying this broom around and have just left Dylan and Sophie with this creepy broom salesman when there's <laughs> evil dark forces around and they're just going to go take a joyride and, like, roll by. <laughs> the whole time I don't think they went thinking, very like, far, still. though. You know, like, it's like, keep close to me, kids. There's evil about. And then, like, we're going to go for a joyride. Yeah. 
No, yeah, I agree. I I was thinking the same thing when I was watching that scene. I was just like, where are the other kids? Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting everybody to they be on the room. They didn't mention anything. It's just, it was just like, are we going to go for a ride right now? And then it just cuts to them flying. I'm like, wait, where are the other two? <laughs> I think the last thing I have at my cons for this one was the very beginning of the movie when it was your, the mom was like, oh, no, we don't do anything for Halloween. It was like, okay, letting your kids go out trick-or-treating is not going to make them have an epiphany that they are witches and are from a different dimension. Yeah, a lot like, of the- <laughs> talked about already with the mom, but all the mom stuff was like, okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely like putting so much emphasis on not talking about Halloween and all of that, like definitely makes the kids more interested in it. So I think sort of coming at it from another perspective where you like treat it like it's a normal thing and kind of don't talk about the periphery things, which would be the magic part and the actually yeah. being a witch part would have made it feel much more normal. And then especially Marnie wouldn't have like hyper focused on it. Yeah, she could have just like put a big emphasis on how it's all fake. And it's fake. Anytime they even suggest anything could be real, it's like, no, it's fake. And just, like, she could have gone that route. I think they could have done something else. The kind of stuff my parents did when I was growing up. I kind of wanted to know what it was exactly about Halloween Town that her mom was so happy to leave and never go back. And what exactly happened to her back there? Because there's, I don't think it's even addressed in the other movies, but she was born and raised in Halloween Town. And then... How did she leave to meet her human husband? And what what was so great about him that like made her leave all this? Or was there something here that drove her away from Halloween Town? And then she met him there. Like knowing a bit more of where she was coming from, I wrote down in all caps, like, is this Kate and Leopold levels of stupid? Where it's like, <laughs> I'm gonna leave my wonderful life in Halloween Town to go live this shitty life in the normie world. Like, yeah, you know what I'm referencing. So I just have a lot of questions there. The grandma did say that she went to the mortal world and she met the father at, like, a Halloween party. I get the sense that, like, traveling to the mortal world on Halloween is, like, a very normal thing that they do. And so she just, like, happened to crash a party and met this guy and they fell in love and the rest is history. I guess, but that, I don't know. But then why would she be so against, why would she never go back home? It seemed like she was fleeing Halloween Town for a reason. And I was thinking, like, did I miss the whole subplot with Calabar, where he, like, did something horrible, and she was fleeing from him, and, or, like, there's something there? I don't know. Okay, my theory for this is Calabar became super, like, stage five clingier boyfriend, and she was like, this dude's creepy, I'm out. It's like, oh, mortal boy, yeah, I'll go with you. (laughs) Yeah, I think if we'd gotten any reasoning from her around that, and, like, it could help justify why she was so against them going to Halloween Town, if there was a reason she thought it was dangerous to go there. Yeah. If, like, she thought it was actually bad for them to go to Halloween Town, not just, like, it's a lifestyle I've chosen not to do, so therefore my children will not choose that lifestyle either. Which was a little extreme, because it didn't seem like she hated Halloween Town for any particular reason. She just chose not to go back there, wanted to live a normal life, and just decided that for her kids without their consent. So, I guess it comes down to our rating then. So what would you guys rate this one? Is this perfect as is? Could it use a little bit of ketchup on it? Or would you have to douse it? Uh, Leanne, what about you? Um... I'm going to say that this movie is perfect as is. It's a Disney original movie that's made for TV, not some complex thing. And I think that for what it is, it worked on its own merits, and I enjoyed it a lot. Jamie? Uh, I think I'm going to say could use a little ketchup. 
Mostly just because of the Marty thing and not using any magic. Yeah, I really love this movie, and I would kind of waver between the two of them. I think it's perfect as is for what it is. <laughs> and especially knowing where the series goes uh, and having seen the other ones, I think this is a really good starting point, and we get a lot of those magic bits in the other movies, so I'm not too upset about it. That's it for us this episode. Join us again next time when we catch up on the Tim Curry classics Clue and Muppets Treasure Island. Consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find our show. Your review may land you a shout-out in a future episode. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MovieCatchUpPod for episode updates and other news. A special thanks to Jamie for joining us on today's episode. Thanks for having me. 